Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Aaron's speechless. <laughs> you talk about Facebook Aaron? and I kind of oh. drowse off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> The More Than Just Code podcast may contain material that is offensive to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 51 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I am joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we're joined again by our co-host Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hey everybody. I feel like there was more that happened this week than what I'm seeing in front of me here. Um, Dan, if I can remember any of it. So Twitter uh, had a yeah an announcement that said their basically their numbers are, are pretty poor. What do you guys think of that? Really? Yeah. Not not financial numbers, what? but user numbers. User numbers has has not been grow- have not been growing for Twitter. Really? Hmm. So user article. acquisition, growth in number of users, or engagement? What were the numbers they talk, were talking about? Uh, good question. Well, the th- one of the big things about it is that uh, Twitter's stock is really down. And um, uh, they're, they're at, like, the lowest point that I think they've ever had. Um, just checking. I got an article in The Guardian here from ah, February. Never mind. <laughs> um, I've got and, one from uh, Recode. Recode. Oh, that's net. good. Um, And with their numbers, their stock price being so far down, uh, they're looking like an acquisition target at this point. That's what everyone's talking about this week. Twitter? Uh, Twitter being acquired, yes. Really? Yes, Uh, because they are very much on sale (laughs) right now. If you you think that the company has any value, then they're priced very low right now. Uh, Their stock is down to, what, $19 or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's quite low. It's it's an historic low. So, um, so it's right around yeah. your IPO price, roughly. Yes, sir. Well, you know, according to my stock ticker here, it's twenty eight dollars and forty eight cents, not nineteen dollars. We regret the error, but uh, apparently it's down quite low. Let's see if I can get details on this. Come on, nothing. So, thanks, Apple widget stock thing. <laughs> Let me go like uh, try. Uh, Hey, we don't even have dashboard anymore, eh? That's it. Today widget. Mm-hmm. What? The dashboard on the Mac. It's gone, right? There's no dashboard anymore. Yeah. 
It's gone from uh, Yosemite. So all we have you, now... No, it keeps coming up in me. You, you got it? Yeah, I kept, kept, every time I swipe with my magic mouse, I get this annoying dashboard. To the left of your home screen. Yeah. I'm, I'm swiping here. Nothing's happening. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's in this update. What are, are you in? Uh, you running Yosemite? Yeah. 10.10.4? Yeah, 10.04, And you have a dashboard. I wonder if I disabled it or something. That'd be just like me. Please, if you figure out how to disable it, please let me know. Hang on. I hate dashboard. So from their second quarter earnings release, average monthly active users were $316 million for the second quarter, up 15% year over year, and compared to $308 million in the previous quarter. So that's not very very big change, 308 to 316. Um, mm-hmm. But excluding SMS fast followers, MAUs were $304 million in the second quarter compared to $302 million in the previous quarter, which is basically no growth. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of a big deal, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had a loss of $137 million for the second quarter compared to $145 million in the same period of 2014. So they're not losing any yep. more money than they were, but hmm. they're not uh, making much more. Right. By comparison, and I don't have the Q3 results, Facebook stock is <laughs> at Facebook. $96.44 uh, as of this recording. Um, really? And, you know, their user growth is good. They're kicking all sorts of butt when it comes to revenue. Being a dirtbag. I mean, Sorry, is that a measure? It's, it's, hey, it's interesting because hey, look how the story has changed, right? Like, you know, investors didn't get immediately rich from Facebook's IPO. Facebook actually took as much money for itself as it could with how aggressively it priced its stock. Uh, and everybody was upset. And when Facebook stumbled a little bit right after the IPO, people were jumping on them. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In contrast, Twitter, going second in that IPO uh, scheme, Presumably priced itself extremely low, so investors would get super rich. Everybody was happy, and here we are, a year or two later, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, this this company's going down!" <laughs> right? Like that's that's the, the 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 story, right? The sizzle story right now, and the the truth is somewhere between. Yeah. Well, it's never been abundantly clear, at least not to me, how Twitter is going to make a lot of money long term as a company. Uh, it's hard to sell ads on something as ephemeral as a tweet, right? Because, or uh, I don't know, you know, the chances of someone seeing it are, are relatively slim, I suppose, unless it's someone you're following. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I think that's the thing. So, so two things that come to mind for Facebook versus. Twitter, because um, some folks have been starting to talk about, like, oh, well, especially with them changing CEOs and they have Jack Dorsey back as the interim, maybe Twitter will reverse course and be friendlier with developers. And what could that mean? Um, and if, he has made those noises. If you, if you ask me, it's not going to make a lick of difference because that wasn't Twitter's problem, right? Um, in terms of Twitter's problem for, you know, profitability, because that's what's going to matter here, right? Um, Opening things up to to let the third party clients do whatever they want is not the answer because what's the first thing the clients are going to do? Remove all the ads. So there you go. It's not going to solve their revenue problem, right? And then the other piece would be um, it presumes that that Twitter's problem is somehow related to innovation and being able to produce new experiences. 
they have a crap ton of engineers. They have more than enough people and right you know, minds and bodies to create new new experiences just on their own without needing independent developers to do this for them. And yet somehow more, independent developers seem to have more motivation and, and more success at driving innovative new features than anyone inside Twitter's ever had. I, I think it's largely because Twitter probably, and, and I don't know anything about their internal structure, but they, they certainly feel like they have a very heavy top-down regimented structure that probably has a whole bunch of internal politics that keeps them from making big aggressive moves and you know to improve their product. I think they're super afraid to hurt MAUs and DAUs. Yep, yep. And and the biggest thing they've come up with in recent history is something they acquired, right, with Periscope. Right. So that wasn't even done internally. Speaking of Periscope, does anyone know anything about how well that's doing? Does anybody use it anymore? Tim does. does. (laughs) Sorry, I do. Yeah, I had to mute his ass. (laughs) I haven't had occasion, but it is... uh, Presumably doing reasonably well, considering that. Let me just double-check here. It is number nine in the social networking list. Okay, that's pretty good. So it didn't fall off the map like Meerkat, who I can't even see. I'm down to, like, 50 by now. and Yeah, I can't find... Is Meerkat even top 100? Uh, No, they are not, as of this recording. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe part of the problem as well with with Twitter as opposed to Facebook is kind of going on a tangent to compare the two is I think the the value proposition for Twitter from from a user standpoint is difficult to sell in one you know one clear what's the the killer feature right like even if you didn't have any friends or family whatsoever Facebook is at least useful for putting up your own photos just like we mentioned that Instagram is still useful even if all you ever do is put up pictures of your own self or your own food Twitter doesn't really have that. If you just join, what are you just, is it useful for all those rants, that, those 140 character rants you had yelling into the void? Right. <laughs> I mean, what, what's the business case? Maybe the most obvious one is, oh, follow Lady Gaga, follow Oprah, follow Justin Bieber. Oh, okay, great. Um, that doesn't lead itself to a lot of, you know, additions to the network. It really just adds, you know, in terms of engagement, it's really just a whole bunch of asynchronous offline reading, if anything. It's kind of newsletter or digest of like here's what Justin Bieber wore today or here's what Taylor Swift said today. Yeah, when I think about the differences between Facebook and Twitter, it's more like Facebook is for the people you know, you know, and Twitter is for the people that you'd like to know. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a much more aspirational social network than Facebook is, and that's why mm-hmm. I think Facebook is so much more successful because the value proposition, just like you said, Jaime, I think it's much more clear for Facebook. You know, you can just say it in one word. Well, why would I use it? It's because everybody that you know is there. So you've got to be there. You kind of have to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, though. I mean, but my, my problem with Facebook, I mean, I, again, I, I get more traction on Twitter. I get more response and more people. I find more interesting things on Twitter than I do on Facebook. Since the reorganization of Facebook, I guess it was like a year ago or 18 months ago, whenever it was that they switched their sort of formula to a point where, you know, unless you show them the money, they're not going to promote your stuff. I'm finding that um, it's almost like I need to reach out to my friends every now and then and say, are you guys still there? Because, you know, it's like all of a sudden they've all disappeared. Either they're not using Facebook or they disappeared off the face of the earth, right? Um, like you're getting a lot less engagement from a post on Facebook than you do necessarily from a post on 
on Twitter. I didn't realize that people were muting my ass on Periscope, by the way, Aaron. They <laughs> totally <laughs> have been. <laughs> well, look, Tim, if you're going to post like four or five in a row, yeah, yeah. You're, you're getting muted. That's a mute. Well, no, I, yeah, but I, 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 to be honest with you, I, I actually, um, I have another account that I do all my, my, uh, most of my periscoping from, and that's. Are you kidding me? Because a lot of people. There's yeah. an account that yeah. there's out there that has more periscoping than yours? Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, uh, that I use, yeah, for sure. I mean, Woo. you know, uh, because you know, I a lot of people are interested in three D printing. So whenever I, I'm doing a print run, I, I, I mind you, um, yeah, no, I guess I do. Yeah, no, I tweet them, and, and people follow me there. But you know, things we do on on, on on Periscope, I think, are interesting. Like I went to Maker Fair last week or this weekend. Um, took a break from all this nonsense with the bugs. And, you know, saw some really cool stuff and, you know, wanted to, to share that kind of information with whoever I thought was following me. And, uh, you know, a couple of people did respond. In fact, one, one, of, the, one of our pals from um, uh, NS Coder and Takao uh, actually came to the Maker Fair at the, at the uh, Reference Library in Toronto here once I started periscoping about it, right? So and that's kind of sort of why I do that. I mean, I think sometimes it's periscoping things that are of interest to people, right? Or that I think would be of interest to people. You know, our our podcast has a has a Periscope account which I use occasionally, but not very often. You know, for something that may be related to to our our fans, like you know, I'll Periscope some things from from our uh, from three sixty iDev when I go down there. You know, mm-hmm. for people who can't go, I mean, not necessarily the, the talks, but maybe you know, talking to some people down there and that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a useful tool. I mean, you know, you know, I couldn't if I couldn't make it to a rock like somebody was for Periscoping from. The uh, the Rush concert, the last you know night of their show down in I think it was in Anaheim. Is that where the yeah, I guess that must be Anaheim was where the last show was, and, and it was interesting to sort of tune in and watch a little bit of the show here and there. And that's that's what Periscope's good for. But getting back to what I was saying earlier about the difference between how I find pay, uh, Facebook and Twitter, I find again Twitter is much more um, you know more more timely. A lot of developers I follow, I follow on Twitter. You know, I, and again, I'm not going to like you said, Aaron. I wouldn't know them on Facebook, like because you know, again, it's that whole sort of you have to ask them to let you be your their friend and you know that kind of stuff, right? So, and again, yeah, like anybody else, I think I'm picky about who I would let be a friend of mine on Facebook as well. But on on, on um, Twitter, if you want to follow me, that's your prerogative. If you want to mute me, that's your prerogative too, right? So. But, I mean, from the point of view, I'm surprised to hear that, that Twitter's doing as badly as they do. I think, you know, Facebook is a little a little more sinister, in my opinion, you know? There are a lot Although more Insta- But Instagram is kind of a cool product by them. I, I like using Instagram to share photos as well and get, get some interesting feedback from some friends and family as well on that, right? And that's a Facebook product, right? It is. I mean, it it, is. it's owned by them ever since the, what, the 2012 acquisition. Right. So, yeah. I think it's interesting. So, I believe there's a huge disconnect um, when you look at the tech sector and how it views Facebook and Twitter and yeah. the entire rest of the world. And I yeah. think what it comes down to and what the facts and data are telling us is that the tech sector as a whole is an edge case, right? You yeah. listen to everybody, I mean, largely via Twitter or even blog posts and podcasts. Sure. Yeah. Like, oh my God, like I don't use Facebook. I deleted my Facebook account. And yeah. It's all Twitter, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. Well, the facts and data prove the opposite, right? So Twitter is what would we say like 300 some million yeah. monthly active users and t- Facebook is like a billion or billion and a half or something insane like that, right? Wow, like and yeah. continuing to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, the kinds of things you talked about are like the kinds of problems that non-tech people don't have 
Right, right. Right. So yeah. uh, the, the timeline is a conversation, these other pieces, like that's, we're, we are not the general public. And I think that's why yeah. we disproportionately look for, oh yeah, like Twitter could be so much better dealing with developers. Even, even mm-hmm. Facebook is for all its flaws, fairly developer friendly. But I think the way that people want to, um, the way that people want to interact with Twitter is not the way that will help Twitter itself, right? And it's completely the opposite of how Facebook allows you to interact with Facebook, right? Like, by and large, everything you see coming out of the third-party clients is they want to have some new and interesting way to present the timeline, which is um, for Twitter, which is like their bread and butter. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Guess what? You can't do that for Facebook. It's as far as I can remember, never allowed you to do that. You couldn't have a third-party replacement for the Facebook app itself. As opposed to Twitter, where just about everybody in the tech sector <laughs> uses something other than the Twitter client, right? They use TweetBot, they use Twitter, yeah. or whatever yeah. might be out yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, their iOS apps are, or their apps are, are lackluster. I, I, I use, I think, um, what is it? I use the, the web based one. Um, but I think I thought it was their product. Uh, TweetDeck, isn't that their, their own thing, their own spin? Twitter acquired TweetDeck a little while ago. Yeah, yeah, because it used to be a completely different app and, and uh, that kind of stuff. And, and you're right. I think I think Facebook when you when you want to write an app that uses their their wall, if you will, all you got was the wall, right? You didn't get to really go and customize and stuff. Because I mean, initially, Facebook wasn't available in iOS and, and uh, iPad and that kind of stuff. And, and people, third parties, wrote you know, friendly face or whatever it was called, or friend face, or maybe that's a joke from a TV show. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> from the from the IT crowd, but um, um, yeah, it's interesting. But uh, so, what, what do you think about uh, things like LinkedIn? And LinkedIn was just acquired by Linda, I believe, right? Linda dot com. What? Uh, no, it was the other way around. Yeah. Oh, LinkedIn was it? Oh, Linda. Linda yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true, uh, yeah. Now that yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, sorry, I, sorry about messing that one up. Yeah, and, and uh, as a Linda fan, I was a little disappointed by that, and I haven't really seen any shakeup other than a couple of my one of my favorite. Uh, Linda.com personalities has, has left to go somewhere else. So I'm not sure if that's a, a, a reaction to that or whatever. But um, LinkedIn is sort of that gets a lot of bad press on on the Twitter anyway because you know uh, it seems to be it's gone from being how you connect to people you're professionally connected to to um, to this like recruiter fest you know kind of thing, right? But, but even look at it that way, right? Like there's no money to be made from a oh look we host your Resume. We host your yeah. CSV, sure. right? Um, I don't know the numbers myself, but just based on the fact that I've paid nothing to LinkedIn, I don't click on any other ads, I don't do anything yeah. other than host my own profile. That has basically become the replacement for my resume on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. And considering how much they charge recruiters, so they can send you, uh, you know, the in-mail oh, thing that doesn't oh, have to be really? a connection. Ah. Like it's an enormous amount of money. Like I'm sure ninety-five percent of LinkedIn's revenue comes from, yeah. you know, the, the LinkedIn Pro or whatever they call it for the, that recruiter. Yeah, premium, premium, yeah. yeah, I know a couple of people who've, who've bitten the bullet and, and paid for premium. You're, you're right. I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been as a, you know, as I think we've talked about this before, I was involved in social networking apps since 20, 2004, I think, right? And so LinkedIn was something that was around then, and Facebook was, you know, the blue Facebook back then. 
Um, and you know, so we were looking at those tools to sort of see what they were doing. And LinkedIn was at that point in time was a way of getting introductions to other professionals in a, who who may or may not want your services, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a kind of good salesperson tool from that point of view. You could basically build move your clientele over to, to a LinkedIn and and get recommendations. And that's why that whole recommendation engine is in there, right? Um, but you're right. It's now it's like you know, lot, I get I get approached a lot by recruiters now as opposed to other people. I mean, I, I still chat with people that, that that I'm professionally related to, and there's that whole LinkedIn game where you can go and you know uh, recommend other people. But you know, I know some people just go and recommend everybody for everything that shows up, which is kind of ridiculous. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, yeah. but even, okay. So thinking of value proposition, what? What would drive you as a normal user to go to yeah. LinkedIn every day to become a daily active user? Hmm. It's a resume well, hosting site, for heaven's sake, right? There's not yeah. like they've tried to do their oh look. I go there for the articles. Thought time. leaders who have like I articles go there for the and stuff, <laughs> a lot of which you could probably get off of Twitter, anyways, <laughs> as we true. just described. Um, it, I don't. Th- there's a top end to their growth, right? It's it's completely predicated around connecting people together. But is there anything wrong with that? I mean, that's a, that's a useful thing if you're looking for a job or looking for candidates. Yeah. Oh, I'm not thing. saying it's a bad thing. Just like we can't look at it in the same lens as like a Twitter or a Facebook because there's a, there's a max limit to how profitable they could possibly be or how large they yeah. could possibly be. I wonder, I mean, what... It, say you're say you're a recruiter or, or you're looking for a candidate. I would think the value of any given connection on LinkedIn would be much higher than a typical value on Facebook for just someone that you're going to be friends with, right? So maybe there aren't as many connections, but the value of each connection might be higher. Uh, therefore, there may be as much or more total value in the system. I say this not knowing any of the numbers, but it, but it seems plausible <laughs> to me. Yeah, for me, like I can say from my personal experience, I you know I I do go to Twitter, I go to Slack, you know, to hook up with my with the people I'm working with, and uh, and I you know go through you know I kind of read through all the threads to sort of see if I'm missing anything because there's lots of fun stuff that happens on on our Slack groups, and um, and sometimes it's useful for work, right? Um, Twitter, I go to to sort of catch up with what's going on, you know, specifically for sometimes for fodder for the for the uh, the podcast itself, you know, to find out what Aaron's up to, what you're up to, that kind of stuff. I like I can't figure out what SmashSoft's up to based on uh, what's on Twitter. Yeah, not um, much spam. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and LinkedIn, I, I check in with LinkedIn every now and then, but now lately I've been you know I've been getting these these job notices from LinkedIn, which is I'm not sure how that got turned on, and you know not not opposed to it, of course, right? But uh, as long as it drives new business, but but uh, you know I go I go to LinkedIn every now and then, and I'll see something about an article that I'm interested in, and I'll go go over there and read it, and you know either post with somebody I know or somebody I don't know, kind of thing. So. Right. But you're right. You you do sort of fall into that trap of, you know, there's there's kind of a wall there now that I kind of glance through. But I don't spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, you know. So, before we forget, like I want to take us way back, way 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 yeah. back to episode two, because I've got some <laughs> okay. follow up. So way back in episode two, um, we talked about at the time Facebook and Foursquare. Yes, our I remember that, on yeah. them splitting their primary apps into sure. two apps, and uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Foursquare and Swarm probably 
kind of not a success. I wouldn't say disaster, but people keep talking about acquiring Foursquare and, oh, shouldn't Apple buy them just so they can shove them into maps and <laughs> basically yeah. take their data repository, forget the yeah. people, forget the, yeah. the apps themselves. In contrast... Well, before, before you jump into that, though, I, I, my, my vote on that is that you're... I totally... I think so. Face, or, sorry, Foursquare is a complete failure. By splitting off that way, I still look at Swarm, still get notifications from Swarm, not nearly as many as I, I think I should, but mm-hmm. Foursquare has become completely useless to me. I mean, it's no different than Yelp or Google, you know, in terms of being able to find things, find where stuff is. But yeah, so, yeah. I mean... I, Maybe they'll shut never, it down and... Return the value to the stockholders or something. I don't know. Yeah. So so, but I know where you're going with this with the uh, with the other split that we talked about in episode two. So off you go. Yeah, and so this article came out. I don't know within the last couple of weeks or so from Quartz, and they were talking about the app downloads for the various apps. I didn't, I didn't even realize Facebook has this many apps. This is insane. It doesn't include Instagram. It doesn't include a couple of other acquisitions like WhatsApp, mm-hmm. but. The number one downloaded app for Facebook is Facebook Messenger. And looking mm-hmm. at the App Store, I can see that it's it's number one in social networking. And then number two is the Facebook primary app, the Big Blue app. And you look at the numbers, there are 646 million downloads from, mm-hmm. let's see, 2012 to second quarter of 2015. So 646 million from Facebook Messenger, 567 million for the Facebook main app. Now, for those... Mm-hmm who don't remember, Facebook uh, decided to take out the Messenger piece, so you actually can't mess, you know, message somebody from within the primary Facebook app. It says, hey, go install this Messenger app, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and there was enough people who said, oh, my God, I, I can't have a separate app. I don't want to do this, blah, 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 largely tech sector people, right? The facts and data say, like, no, no, no. Not only did at just about everybody, a one-to-one, you know, install rate for, oh, I have Facebook main app, I will install Facebook Messenger. More people, in fact, it's about a 25% more people installed just the Facebook Messenger app, right? Because the Facebook Messenger app has greater downloads than the Facebook app itself. Hmm. And, then, and that's, but that's the argument, that's the argument, the, probably the desktop, we don't know what the desktop numbers are, right? So... Sure, and, like, and, and uh, you know, sliding scale, and who knows if you know how many people um, may have already had the Facebook app on iOS yeah. prior to where this is measuring, right? Because it's measuring for 2012, and I don't recall when the Facebook app went into the App Store. But the fact that it's close enough, you know, that there's enough fudge factor in there that you might have a one-to-one mm-hmm. means that Facebook was right when it decided to make the separation and acquire WhatsApp. I think they saw where things were going that, you know, the big social network, huge, enormous um, app idea has its place, but things were moving towards instant messaging, some one-on-one plus some group type things that Snapchat and WhatsApp and line and cacao talk and all these other apps have tried to address. I think they were pretty smart to not only get in there themselves with their big mainline brand, but also acquire WhatsApp. That was uh, an obvious competitor that was scary to them. Similar to how Instagram was an obvious scary competitor who could have eaten their lunch from the photo album sharing aspect of their their product. Aaron's speechless. (laughs) You talk about Facebook and I kind of drowse off a little bit. (laughs) 
and that, I mean, it's a problem, right? Like we're all tech savvy people, supposedly. So we, um, we tend to veer away from Facebook, you know, we, yeah. we have to recognize its enormous power. Um, as you know, I was at the cottage last week and so I mm. spent some time with my mom who is an avid Facebook user. Um, right. and she tells me about things that happen in my own family that I would only hear about through her. I, I mean, like my wife's side of the family. <laughs> Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. my mom can tell me about because she's on Facebook and they're all on Facebook and yeah, uh, it's a little disturbing uh, to hear about things happening with my brother-in-law's family <laughs> that uh, that my mom is telling me about. It's weird, but uh, you know that's and but to watch her actually use Facebook on her iPad, um, mm-hmm. she uses it much like I use Twitter. It's very similar, like the if, to an outside observer. You know, um, you have it open and you're just scrolling through a feed. Um. You know, it's highly multimedia and interactive and all that stuff. Uh, lots of uh, photos and videos to watch. And, you know, it's a very similar thing to looking at my Twitter stream, you know, except um, I like to think that the, the quality of the content I'm getting, you know, from intelligent people hopefully saying intelligent things or sharing intelligent thoughts um, is is much more additive to my life than the celebrities and, and movie stars and cat videos that, uh, that my mom gets, uh, in her Facebook feed, but that's just mm-hmm. me being a snob. Um, you know, I, I think, I tend to think that Facebook veers more in that direction than in the, um, intelligent discourse that I had to curate and cultivate myself on Twitter, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's the thing with Twitter is that like, if it, it is what you make of it, right? Whereas yeah. Facebook is much more, um, it is who you know. You know, and and so if your friends are are mouth breathing apes, then that's the that's what your Facebook is going to look like. But if you know they're they're uh, you know rocket scientists and philosophers, then you're you're going to have that kind of quality on Facebook as well. Um, but on Twitter, you can curate who you follow. You choose exactly who you follow, and um, you can tweak it and change it, and it's all in your hands. But it's a hell of a lot more work, which is why. They're having a hell of a time acquiring the MAUs, right? Right, right. So, and, and there's also also automated sites that will, will you know follow and unfollow people for you as well. That's the most ridiculous okay. thing, right? Like, yeah, I do, yeah. No algorithm can can choose a good Twitter stream. You know, Twitter yeah. keeps trying that. It's like, oh, well, obviously you're going to want to follow Justin Bieber and and <laughs> you know uh, t- Taylor Swift and you know these yeah. these mega stars, you know, because yeah. they view Twitter as uh, a broadcast medium, which yeah. it isn't, you know. To me, it's not. Um, yeah, it's funny that you say that because I have I have probably got four or five Twitter accounts, believe it or not. I have a main my main one which I use for stuff, but I get emails from the other uh, to the other account saying, "Oh, you should follow Aaron Bay because you know Tim follows them," and that kind of stuff. So they kind of hook you in that way. But uh, and but coming back to your Facebook point, I mean, we have a Facebook account because my wife doesn't have a Facebook account, right? And exactly the same thing happens there all of my cousins my sisters you know I, we post baby pictures up on facebook because that's what it's for i mean it's it's keeping you know my wife keeps in touch with everybody else and, and using my facebook account right and uh everybody knows who knows us that if you're if you're talking to me on facebook you're probably talking to my wife not me right so and, and that they know that's how to get a hold of her or post stuff that she'll be interested in you know so but totally, I I don't go to Facebook. In fact, if I miss something on Facebook, she'll go, "Well, didn't you see that on Facebook?" And I'm like, um, "I told you before, I don't follow Facebook." You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I've never really understood the criticism. So every time Facebook, as an aside, comes out with a product, and they yeah. always show the very designer friendly, like, "Oh, look, you know, this 
pictures of beautiful people doing interesting and exotic <laughs> things. And people always complain, or at least I always see complaints in the, the media about like, oh, like, well, not everybody's like that. Or like, as somebody mentioned here, it's just like mouth-breathing idiots on, on my <laughs> Facebook feed. That like, was I don't understand. Like, it's people you know. The problem is you have terrible friends and family. <laughs> it's not <laughs> Facebook's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're using it wrong. <laughs> That's true. You're holding it wrong. Exactly. You're related wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny because like uh, there's a few people that my that show up on that I follow personally on Facebook, and my wife will say that person always puts some really weird stuff up there. So just go in and tell them you don't want to see that stuff anymore, and presto, change it. It's gone, right? So yeah, I mean, so that's the same thing with Aaron was saying earlier about beauty me on Periscope, right? So. Facebook's gotten really good at um, refining its newsfeed, both in favor of the user, you know, for, um, you know, I, I still want to follow certain people, you know, friends yeah. and family. I don't want the crackpot theory kind of thing or crackpot yeah. sort of um, old wives tale kind of thing that spreads around every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty good at letting you selectively say like yeah i don't want to see this kind of thing you mean like your battery and your phone is spying on you those kind of things yeah yeah um repost this and mark zuckerberg will send you a million dollars or something like, this is totally <laughs> legit like I've, my friend is a lawyer and blah 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 sure. um so they're they're actually kind of, honestly probably the best in the business at doing this um yeah because they've also used that to their advantage to do things that are um I don't know. It depends on how you philosophically view advertising as to whether this is pro or against the user. But yeah. they've did, done a very good job at seamlessly putting in their their ad pieces, on, at least on mobile. Uh, I don't use desktop web and haven't mm -hmm. for a very long time. Mm -hmm. To make it not as noticeable as an ad. Right? It doesn't hit you in the face like, by contrast, Twitter's, in my opinion, relatively poor advertising product where it's like incredibly obvious that this is not something that should be in my feed. Yeah. Like I don't install every little app that Facebook puts in front of me. I don't follow every little thing that it puts in front of me, but mm -hmm. it seems to choose really good things. Like, yeah, I might reasonably be interested in that, you know, and I'm not interested in Twitter. I'm not interested in Justin Bieber. Um, I'm also not interested in downloading an app, which I already have installed. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm just looking at my Facebook right now, and, and, and it's it's you know, stuff I just saw four or five things that I could live without seeing. And again, I, I'm I'm missing a lot of people that, that I would normally follow. And what I what I don't like about Facebook is is they they seem to filter out people. If you don't interact with somebody or make a comment or hit a like hit the like button, um, then then you have no way of of you, you get that stuff gets filtered out of your view. Whereas what I do like about Twitter is everything's there, and I can decide to look at it or not look at it. And um, and I am, to be honest, with you, I am partially annoyed to see some of the ads that come up, you know, in in Twitter. But you know, like you said, I can just skip past them. And occasionally, I get duped into saying, "Oh, that looks interesting," and clicking on the image, and then realizing I'm being sent over to a website that has nothing to do with the pic what the picture was about, right? So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I you know I'm, I'm partially saddened to hear that that is having as much trouble as it is because you know I, I use it quite a bit. I use it almost every day. Well, I do use it every day, right? So, I have a free idea for Twitter. Okay. Um, you know, because you earlier dismissed the idea that uh, third-party developers could uh, make a difference to them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't agree with that. Uh, and here's my thinking. So what if they opened the API up again and allowed more than 100,000 user tokens per client and um, pretty much made made the platform worthwhile to develop on again? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they obviously want to do is monetize the platform. Um, but they don't feel, for whatever reason, that they can't inject ad content into third-party Twitter clients. Mm. Well, what if they did a uh, revenue-sharing deal with developers? So if you come up with a client that um, that offers a way to uh, show advertising, you get a kickback. Like a 30-70 split? Whatever. <laughs> you, know, you come up with whatever uh, split you like. But yeah, you yeah. know, the idea is that... Um, you're going to motivate developers to create uh, free or low-cost clients for the platform and maybe even mm-hmm. come up with different ways to utilize advertising on the platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like, you know, because Twitter, like I said before, Twitter has uh, received a tremendous amount of, of innovation from its third-party community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't think that there's an end to that if they provide that ecosystem. And at the uh, the call last week with Jack Dorsey, um, I don't know if it was there or if it was at a different event. I think it might have actually been at the call during the analyst questions. Uh, he, he gave some indication that, I think what he actually said was that the decision to shut out developers was actually a really bad move. Like he recognized it was a big mistake. Hmm. Um, and it's it may not happen right away, but I would not be surprised if uh, Jack were considering uh, a way to open up uh, development again for third-party developers. And, you know, answering this question about Twitter's revenue generation, its, its ability to create wealth, um, you know, has to take into account uh, the third-party platform. And this is one thing that Facebook doesn't have, right? Like, Facebook, of course, has APIs coming out their butts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're terrible. God, I hate them so much. But uh, there are no third-party uh, apps, right? Like, everything that you can develop with Facebook is just a way to plug into the experience. It's not a, yeah. it's not a replacement for those experiences. So, yeah. But that's, that's how Twitter is different, right? Um, yeah. Developers can craft entirely new experiences using the Twitter APIs. Um, and and that, that kind of potential for constant reinvention, I think, is what Twitter's great strength could be. And advertising got to be a part of that. There's got to be revenue for, for that, you know? And why not make developers into partners? Mm-hmm. So who were you saying was, was Jaime? This, yeah, that this, was, that this was me who posited that. Okay. that Sorry. That it's Sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, reason, I was going to say that I had a chance to look at fa- Fabric the other day, like last week a bit, for, and it was really, actually really easy to use. And it was kind of an interesting approach to, and I was using it for login and it was kind of really, really slick the way they, the way they implement it, you know, in terms of how you install it and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're referring to Twitter's mobile tool set for yeah. uh, analytics. Um, what was it? There's, there's like all kinds of stuff, right? Crash reporting, obviously, because mm-hmm. it started crash from analytics, I think crash, part of it. Yeah, they acquired right? yeah. crash analytics and that was the foundation of this whole suite of tools for mobile developers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like single sign on sort of things, uh, yeah, authentication, um, you, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that developers can take to plug into their existing apps, and it just sort of yeah. uh, makes app development easier because it handles all kinds of stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, I think, a sign of, of Twitter, you know, thawing towards developers. I don't kind of get the strategy behind it, though, unless that there is a play 
for opening the API, hmm. right? Because, uh, you know, you look at it from Twitter's perspective, like, okay, we're going to create a bunch of tools that you can use as an iOS or Android developer um, to build into your app. But those tools or the use of them doesn't really benefit Twitter as a platform in any particular way that I can detect mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if those were available uh, alongside their API and, and you know encourage developers to to build creative and innovative new uh, mechanisms or, or platforms or whatever based on the the Twitter firehose, then uh, then you know it might be something interesting there. I think those tools are are pretty much always uh, an entry point to get the user using the service in the hope that they will eventually use some type of ad serving service from that ecosystem. Like a developer, you mean a developer by a user, Mark? Yes. So pretty much everyone, uh, you know, from maybe Flurry to to uh, even Apple to Facebook itself, all, all these ones who have these infrastructure tools for developers, it always is, it's, it seems like it's always followed up by an ad serving uh, service. <laughs> and so right. maybe, maybe that's Twitter's uh, angle on that. Maybe they're just trying to catch up with everybody else. I mean, uh-huh. when you look at the products that are in Fabric, it certainly feels like they are trying to do what Facebook did years ago, right? Where Facebook mm-hmm. essentially is authentication, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people have, have deferred to it. So you look at Twitter has its login with Twitter, right? Just like login with Facebook. They even have right. the digits where you can log in and sign up by phone number, which is pretty sexy nowadays. And even Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. itself lets you do that. Um, Crashlytics, okay. Well, you know, that helps make things more seamless for app developers. The MoPub, right? The monetizing your app with yeah. ads, that's part of their their play there. So yeah. I think they're, they're, they're trying to very quickly catch up to what Facebook took, you know, better part of a decade to put together. And, and the, really the only reason they they want to have uh, authentication, they want to know who you are, is so that they can do something with that information, right? They can, yeah, they exactly. can sell your information to someone or, you know, maybe it's not so, uh, you know, so mercantile as it sounds, but, you know, they want to use that information to serve you better, serve you better ads, serve you a better experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just had... Well, a quick comment on, on, on the advertising in, in apps. I don't mind it. I don't mind it when I go to YouTube or whatever, see an ad and have to click on it after a couple of minutes. But uh, yesterday I was looking up some really sad news that happened and, and they showed me a really cheery advertisement before I got to see the news piece. Mm. I mean, it, I think they could apply a little bit of logic to that kind of stuff. Now, I wanted to recap back where we were talking about with, um, uh, just for my understanding and maybe some of our listeners, um, and we've talked about this before, and I've never really sort of questioned you guys about it. But so, correct me if I'm wrong, but Twitter changed the way that the API works so that it made it harder or, or broke some things for people. I guess in the last year or so, in terms of how people were able to write use their API for building other tools. Is that correct? Ah, uh, okay. So what you're asking about is why do developers feel they aren't able to build on Twitter anymore? Yeah, because yeah, okay. why were they able to build in the past, and now why did they feel they're no longer able to? This happened about three years ago, actually. Okay. Um, and so Twitter announced that um, developers on the platform would um, would be limited uh, to 100,000 user tokens for their clients. Oh, okay. okay? That's where you came out with the number. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so like someone like a Tweetbot or a Twitterific... Uh, or any other Twitter client. And this is uh, like the the standard 
uh, as if it were the website Twitter experience, you know, like the, the kind that people like us use. <laughs> um, those, those are the types of application that Twitter actively discouraged. They said, we do not want you building this type of application anymore. Mm-hmm. However, if you are building one of these or you, you are currently shipping one, then these are the new limitations. Right. All right. And so you will have a maximum number of 100,000 customers. That's the only, uh, that's the, the maximum number of people that you can have using your app. Um, hmm. And so when they did that, obviously, like the motivation to create an app for Twitter uh, went in the toilet, right? This was around the time that app.net came out because it was a reaction to this policy. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. There was a, a group of people that decided that they wanted to build an alternative platform that was free from that kind of political interference. And that's how it was seen. You know, it was a totally political move because Twitter at the time was kind of casting about for a monetization strategy. And it just didn't see how it could uh, make money selling ads when there was all these third party platforms uh, out there using their data, basically. So uh, a stupid boneheaded move, like just because everything that that was growing and great about Twitter was coming from all these third party apps. So um, that's what we're talking about here. Like this, this, this basically killed the uh any incentive to build a new application uh based on twitter and that's why there have been none since you know like uh why why has there not been an update for tweetbot in two years like up until like last month or something like that why has twitterific not had a mac client in two years and still waiting um they come out with updates for ios uh because of course that's where all the people are but they are not going to be able to have uh, many new customers. They, they just have to keep uh, reselling to the existing ones uh, with new versions of their apps. But there are no new entrants into the market. Don't know if you've noticed that. Right, and I put into the chat, uh, I, I know we talked about this at some point, the California Knife in Your Back yeah, we did. episode of Build and Analyze from uh, Marco Armand. Classic. Yes. Um, and that was a reference to uh, the way that Twitter brought out those uh, those guidelines, right? The rules of the road of here's what we're going to do. Isn't this a great thing for everybody sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the quadrant, right? The magic quadrant of this is what we don't want you to do. And this is what we want you to do. We don't want you to build clients. That's bad. In this quadrant over here are things like clout and a couple of other things that use uh, analysis of the Twitter stream and, and so forth. Right. Yep. Um, so, <laughs> So app.net is actually a pretty good example, I think, of how you know, making things developer-friendly won't necessarily matter because developers are an edge case, right? So like app.net is an utter failure and only mm-hmm. briefly had its moment in the sun because tech people were angry at Twitter, <laughs> right? Just like Ello had its 20 minutes in the sun yeah. because people were angry at Facebook for its real, uh, you know, real name policy changes. Yeah. Um, and, and let's go down the idea of, cause I'm, I'm interested in, in playing this out in my head for if Twitter was to have a revenue sharing program for ads, right? So they would purposely choose to give up money to developers in order to offset that by getting innovation and getting a broader user base. Sure. Um, this seems like it has some operational problems that Twitter would have to deal with, um, because hypothetically, and I think I brought this up in one episode when we talked about the California knife in the back piece, mm-hmm. 
I didn't understand at the time why Twitter didn't just say, look, if you're going to use our API, rather than trying to limit it by, you know, number of user tokens and, you know, which is like 100,000 by default, unless you're already big, like a tweet bot, and you get twice as many of what you've got now, that's something. I said, well, why don't they just do, you know, use the API key, which is specific to you as a developer, to be the sort of Democles hanging over your head is like, look, if you don't show ads, if you have like, oh, look, this is Jaime's Twitter client and he's decided to carve out everything that's not a tweet and carve out you know, all the ads. Yeah, once Twitter notices, they're just going to shut off my API key and my app goes dark for everyone. Hmm. Right? They, they could have hypothetically done that. Um, they decided not to. It probably ends up with a lot of like app review type things that Apple does and even Facebook itself does if you want to add things to a user's timeline, right? Like your app can't go live without going through with uh, Facebook's app review. Um, so hypothetically, you developers might say, oh yeah, this is in my, in my interest, right? To be in Twitter's interest, to have my innovative client draw in a whole bunch of users and share in the ad revenue. I think a problem is, what if you end up with somebody who has altruistic ideas of like, no, I'm not going to charge for this app and I'm not going to take any revenue pieces because I'm going to actively remove the ads, right? Let's say like a Lauren Brichter comes back and says, by golly, I've come up with Lauren Brichter's Twitter client 2.0 kind of thing. And I've got a crap ton of money because of my particular career. So I'm just going to make the best Twitter client ever and I will charge nothing for it. I will not have any ads in my Twitter client. Now Twitter has this dangerous proposition of either saying, oh, well, we could let them get really big, which will hurt us because we will not be getting ad revenue, or we have to stomp on them as soon as they get big enough to become dangerous and take all the bad PR flack for it. Hmm. Like, I just don't see how Twitter ends up winning um, by making its, you know, old style API stuff developer friendly again i think it, it feels like that time has passed right they they got as big as they are now um in some respects because of how developer friendly they were but it it was never going to be profitable for them to do that that's an interesting thing though i mean like like is the free internet gone i mean um that was the that was the sort of the you know whole computer oh, what's the word like computer ugh. What's the word for being computer competent? Um, literate? Computer literate? Computer literate, yeah. About being computer literate was the ability that you could, you could go in and you'd have the power to go in and make the computer your own. Or make, and the internet came along and make the internet your own. And, you know, over time, everybody starts off with this, this great, you know, idea that we'll do all this stuff. It'll be free and it'll be wonderful. And somehow, secretly, some guy will come and give us a bag of cash. And every, every service so far, Facebook, Twitter, Google... Uh, Google Plus, uh, LinkedIn, you know, any uh, product seems to get to a point where they can't do things for free. I think Meetup is one of the few ones I, I, I know that's still around that doesn't seem to have a revenue stream that I'm aware of, right? Um, you know, it seems like every popular one eventually gets to a point where they grow so big that they just have to start charging money for their service, right? So, and would people pay for it if, again, it comes back to that same, you know, race to the bottom thing we've been talking about the whole time on this show is would people pay for such a service, like even if they had to throw in a couple of bucks at it, right? You know? Well, this is a very similar question to why should people pay for apps? Why shouldn't apps yeah. just all be free? Uh, mm-hmm. And and if you think that apps shouldn't 
be free and that app developers should make money, then it's reasonable to think that people like Twitter and Facebook should make money as well. Yeah, and I do think it is reasonable that they do make money, to be honest with you, but because I, mean, I do know what it costs to have servers, and, and I can't imagine what it costs them to have servers and, and, and the kind of replication they have to do across you know the, the globe, really, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, just as, a, as, a, as an aside here, Aaron and I both kind of reading the same book by Neil Stevenson, and, and there's a discussion about a social networking that they use in the space station, right? Which I misread this or misheard this afternoon, but you set me straight. But the same sort of thing that's that becomes a big part of that particular story you know in in even even in the, the end of the earth we'll be you know hitting the equivalent of facebook to to communicate with each other right so you know wow like can 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 there be a free internet well, there is a free internet. It it's out right? there, but nobody knows how to use it, right? Like the internet <laughs> is 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 Gopher and FTP and SSH and yeah. SMTP, IMAP. Yeah. Um, you know all those services that <laughs> that the, that the internet is built upon, right? But people don't use them anymore. They've cast almost all of it aside in favor of commercially backed services because they're easier to use, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're uh, you know much more uh, attuned. To what people are actually doing, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's the same as why people use Macs instead of Linux boxes, right? I mean, yeah. In theory, everyone could go build their own Linux box and customize it however they want, and you know, great. But they don't. The market spoke. They bought Macs instead because it's it's worth it to trade off some of the some of the uh, the cost for for the convenience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mourn the the fact that there are no generalized free. Uh, open source web services like there used to be in the early days, but mm-hmm. uh, that's not the way it is anymore. You know, and uh, we're all a part of it, right? Like we're sure. we're commercially building software yeah. and selling it. Hello, <laughs> we're yeah, part yeah. of the problem. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But you know, but there's I mean, no way around it. In the early days of the internet, I mean, it was, there was an entry point. I think Apple was the only one that tried to do it for free. But but you know, when, when you had AOL and you had CompuServe and and I can't remember the rest of them, but you had to pay a certain amount, for, and that was your internet service provider, right? I mean, you paid to have access to information that, that you could then share with other people, right? Or, you know, you could go you can go to Apple's website and download, you know, System 1 software if you wanted it, you know, but you had to pay so much per month or so much per minute to get in there and get it, get that stuff. Um, but to make, to make, you know, to make it convenient for Aaron's mom to go onto Facebook with her iPad, you know, it had to, they had to have a, a free tool that came along to let you do that, right? So, you know, would your would your mom have been made an easy transition to using Facebook if if it had cost her a few bucks a month, right? Sort of, would she even nobody said would be I, using Facebook? She said, "I don't need that." Yeah, you know? everybody. So was that Aaron? You're real quiet. Uh, sorry, I was. You know, nobody would use Facebook if it, if you had to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that nobody would use it. Oh, okay, nobody. But, yeah, you know, but I mean, be... if, if originally when it first started, if you had to pay for it, yeah, I agree, nobody would use it. But now, yeah. if they if they now started cranking up the price a little bit, I bet I bet plenty of people would pay. Wow, can you imagine if if Facebook said, "Yep, uh, we're going to charge a dollar a month now"? Yeah, yeah, like even a dollar a month, like they would lose a ton of users. Mm-hmm. But so do, so do you hold it against them the fact that they have the ads running on the side? I mean, I, you know, we talked about this last week with with the fact that you know we block uh, their their data mining of us to to you know to prevent things from showing up on the sidebar on Facebook. But do you begrudge them ad, ads that they have there? You know, 
they're, they're, to me, they're kind of like infomercial ads. I very rarely would ever click anything I see on Facebook, but, you know. I don't even use it. I deleted my account ages oh, ago. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So. You, didn't get a, you didn't get a bottle washing up on the shore saying message from Facebook. That was LinkedIn. <laughs> that joke. But, uh, no. Um, I, had to, I had to open an account to... Um, I think Facebook uses drones. I had an open account to use for development purposes. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but it's got nothing in it, basically. And mm-hmm. It's just the way I like it. I never use it, of course. And you obviously don't use your LinkedIn either. I know. So I kind of get that impression. I sometimes, you know, I, I don't hate LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I definitely hate Facebook. But yeah. uh, LinkedIn, I, I have tried to keep somewhat up to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very bad at going there. I don't. I almost never go there, and like maybe twice a year. And when I do, there's a whole bunch of recruiter messages in the mailbox, uh, mm. and I'm like, "Whoops! <laughs> well, I should do something about this." <laughs> yeah, you're so rude to recruiters. I can't believe it. I am not rude to recruiters, <sighs> honestly. <laughs> but uh, I yeah, just uh, am not uh, not on top of the LinkedIn thing. That's yeah. for darn sure. So I did. I did also want to talk about the other the other Facebook competitor, and that's Google Plus. I, I <laughs> saw some stuff recently about how Google Plus is a failure and is doomed. I didn't. I don't have any links specifically to talk about that, but they shut it down. You guys, did you guys get? Sorry. Well, they've they've um, up, updated their policies on it. So, um, yeah. like they used to require Google Plus in order to sign into YouTube and any other Google service for that matter. Right. And right. that that requirement has been pulled. Uh, so that you'll you'll be able to use um, like you'll be able to create your own YouTube account, for example. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So you won't have to like the the, the policy of integrating Google Plus with everything that Google has. Uh, mm. They're withdrawing from that. I think you know, obviously, it's the recognition that um, Google Plus isn't going to go anywhere, and uh, it's not taking over the world. It's not competing with Facebook, mm. um, and so I, I think Google Plus's days are numbered. Um, mm-hmm. I can imagine it kind of being, uh, was it Wave, the one before that? Google Wave. Uh, <laughs> Google Buzz. Buzz, Buzz and Wave. Buzz and, wave and, yeah. and Plus, you know? Like, they're they're all going to go away eventually. Hmm. Well, Plus in particular. <laughs> and and that's, is that because, again, resistance is futile, Facebook's going to win the day? Is that what you think? Or, well, yeah, I think or so. Or just a different tool? It's just know? that Google Plus was, was trying to force people onto a social network using their, uh, you know, it's yeah. sort of a monopoly power to sort of integrate that service in and, you know, sort of make people love it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just uh, never going to work, you know, because it doesn't offer anything that, that Facebook doesn't already offer with all the relationships and the social network that it has. And uh, it's huge, huge lead in terms of mindshare and, and capability mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Google Plus just could never come, you know, compete with that. So um, I thought its days were numbered from the first moment it came out. Uh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like... What did you guys think? Did you guys think Google Plus had a chance in hell? Of well, I've had a Google Plus account since almost it came out. Yeah, because, ditto. You know, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. so that doesn't answer the question. Yeah, well, I, I would do. It, it's interesting though about the whole Google ethos because um, I do use a lot of Google services, and I and I find it. I used to have. I used to be able to use my own email address as an alias to my Google account, and never had to really actually go there and get mail and stuff like that. And it's really annoying now that they've broken that because I don't use my Gmail account and people keep sending me appointment requests. You know, they send me like, you know, Google, and then as soon as I click on them, my Google calendar freaks out because it's a different address that I'm being invited to and blah, blah, blah. Right. So I find some, some pieces in Google to this day are still broken in terms of how their sort of their single sign on, if you want to call that works. But, and, but, you know, with the web tools and, and what is it, uh, all their ad networks, that kind of stuff, um, Gmail, um, 
all the G- Google for Business, all those kind of use that one sort of like kind of like the Apple ID kind of idea. Idea, you know, um, even on my Android devices, I had to use my Google account to get the stuff right. Um, but you know, and again, it's my also my Google Plus account, right? So weird stuff. Yeah, it's uh, so just so folks are clear because Google Plus yeah. uh, kind of like Microsoft with its .NET designation got sprinkled all over everything. So we're not talking about Google Plus, the photos and the other aspects. We're talking about Google Plus, the social networking experience, which um, is an absolute failure given how much time, effort, and money and power that Google has, right? Despite their best efforts to shove it down your throat, as uh, exemplified in the... We should put this in the show notes. I put a link to this great comic that i remember seeing back it's it's a little kid you know it's an parent is supposed to be google plus and the parent is supposed to be google and says yeah. papa why did they not love me <laughs> i do not know little one but it is of no concern i will make them love you <laughs> and that i think in a nutshell epitomizes oh, not only what google is as a company but also how they viewed and completely missed the mark on google plus Right. So in terms of failure, so I remember, you know, how big Google is and how they shoved it into everything, like their super successful YouTube property and got Mm -hmm. all sorts of backlash. So looking at the social networking tab, um, top three on iOS right now, the top five are Facebook Messenger, Facebook, WhatsApp Messenger. Hey, guess what? Top three are Facebook-owned properties. Pinterest, Twitter. Way down here, way, way, way down here. At number 23, Google Plus Social Networking. That's not where Google should be, right? Like, yeah. If you are yeah. supposed to be a legitimate social networking thing. Like, nobody wants to use Google Plus, the social network. Nobody really wants to use Google Plus anything except for the pieces that we talked about that got the name misapplied. Like, the Photos piece, right? Google Photos, mm-hmm. the app that I was, uh, you know, loving uh, and still mm-hmm. continue to love and use, is mm-hmm. part of removing the... Um, the Google Plus stigma from their property and say, hey, people really love this photos thing. That's great. Let's go with that. Hmm. Um, and, and as an aside, this is why, uh, and we should put this in the, in the show notes too. When I saw this article going around from, who's the source? Uh, I guess it's Google Webmaster Central um, about how Google had done this case study on app download interstitials and how they had found that, hey, you know, uh, for folks who don't know, the interstitials are things like, you know, if you go to somebody's website and it tells you, hey, instead of going our website, why don't you download and install our app, mm-hmm. right? Or view this content in the app. That's what we mean by an interstitial. So it's kind of like a smart app banner that Apple uses, except it's much more intrusive and that it's right in your face and trying to drive you to install yeah, the app or, match, or to right? open the content in the app, get a rich experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's a pretty short article, but... Google had looked into it and said, you know, like what we found is it's actually better to just let people view the web content because we lost so many more people using the interstitial. And, and that got passed around on Twitter um, with people like, oh, yeah, see, like app download interstitials are so bad, blah, blah, blah. It's much better for your company to do, you know, just let them view the web content. Hmm. Now, I will caveat what I'm about to say by it's entirely possible that that is the case, that it, it, is in, it may be true that overall you're better just letting people view your web content instead of trying to do, um, you know, push them towards an app download install. However, Google Plus 
is a terrible test case for this. <laughs> right? This is like trying to determine is there water on Mars and going into the Mojave Desert on Earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because Google Plus, as we just mentioned, nobody wants it, nobody cares about it, nobody wants to use a social network. You know yeah. what Google Plus is, anecdotally, from just everything that I've seen? It's largely tech people who are using it as a blogging platform. So the yeah. Andy Anotkos and the Jeff Jarvises of the world, like, they're very tech savvy. They like using Google Plus. It's got some nice things that lets them essentially have a blogging platform, mm. right? And so, yes, if you were a user who's like, oh, I wonder what Andy Anotko said today. Hey, instead of just letting me read this content, would you like to install this app? Like, hell no, I don't want to install this app. I just want to read the damn content. Yeah, yeah. Right. So before I think people double down on the idea of like, oh, I don't want to push them towards app installs. I should make a stronger web experience. Don't use this test case. Right. <laughs> Maybe do your own facts and data on using analytics as to what's happening with your users. Because Google Plus is the absolute worst poster child for the right thing to do in any case. Right. Just about almost everything that related to um, monthly active users and daily active users. Too true. So- so I, I just want to ask, so you were talking about the numbers in, in the, the, the top social networking apps. How does that look on, on Google Play? Does it, were you looking on Apple's? I was uh, looking on, uh, on the App Store for, for iOS, so fair point. Um, it, it could be better on Google Play. I, I'm just curious. I'm just curious, like, how, how does that look, you know, because uh, obviously Google is heavily entrenched in Android, right? So Let's see. Top social networking apps, Google Play. Let's see if I can very quickly. If I had an Android device in front of me, be easier. Oh, so you were you were just looking on your phone, or yeah, I mean oh, okay. to see what the top chart stuff was. So let's see here. Top free in social: Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Twitter are the top five. Mm-hmm. Where is Google Play? Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Excuse my French there. Um, Google uh, Google Plus is number forty-one on Google Play. Okay, so for folks who may not know it there, you have to have a Google ID to log into your own Android device. So you would think it would be very frictionless and seamless to join Google Plus when you're already in the Google ecosystem. If Google in its own house can't convince you to eat the pie, the pie is probably not worth eating. (laughs) Yucky, rotten pie. Um. Does anyone have anything else to say about this? I've got some real-time follow-up for you. Oh, oh. sure, sure. Tim, Give her. Tim, go to system preferences. Right. Yeah. Mission control. Uh, oh, you can turn this stuff off. Yeah. And you'll see um, in the first cluster of checkboxes, there's a mm-hmm. dashboard pop-up at the bottom of it. Oh, turn space. it off. Oh, off. Yes, but the app is still there because I was I, when I couldn't get it to swipe over. I, I found the app in the in the applications folder. The dashboard application. Yeah, that's true. But come on, <laughs> you don't have to run it. No, you know I tell you something. I use I use I have one of those Apple Magic Mice things, and and I find that all too often I'm trying to switch tabs between something in Xcode and an app and whatever, and somehow a second finger will swipe across, and, and I end up in dashboard going because I mean the other thing too is if you boot your Mac and never touch dashboard there's a little bit of memory you're not using but once you launch dashboard it, it stays active until you restart your machine again yeah well there you go so, so you're better dumb so let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks Aaron do you have a pick 
No, I do not. Thanks, Aaron. No sweat, Tim. <laughs> Thanks for suggesting we go to picks and you have no pick. I got no pick. Um, how many do you have a pick? I do not have a pick this week. Boom! Okay. I, I'm not even going to ask Mark. <laughs> <laughs> One of our uh, friends over there at RayWonderwith.com um, is Sam Davies, who joined the team, full-time team, just shortly uh, a few months ago. And uh, he, we were talking about design and some ideas about how to design uh, UI and stuff like that. And he pointed at a website called patterns.com, that's, but that's P-T-T-R-N-S.com. And it's, um, uh, if you're looking to, de- de- to design something for iPhone or iPad or Android or Apple Watch, um, they, it's a curated list of um, interfaces that other apps are using. So it gives you sort of an idea on, on some, you know, currently in use um, applications that, you know, how they how they design their UI, whether they're using material um, material design or they're using, you know, best practices, what have you, like, you know, the Slack is here, for instance, and you can see you can see screens from Slack and how they they build their, their UI up, um, you know, and you can scroll through these things and it gets changed every now and then. And if you want to specifically look at watch apps, I think we were talking about watch apps at the time and he, and he, uh, Sam, uh, pointed us out to the site. So it's kind of a cool, cool resource. If you're, again, I'm always looking at things for design with, uh, out of the four of us. And these are things that, uh, you know, make pleasing looking apps. And I think that there's some, some good, uh, inspiration for people if they're looking for, how to lay out an app and they don't know which window Photoshop is up. Um, you guys, did you guys have a look at that or? Yes. What do you think? Nice. Yeah, I've seen this site before. It's uh, it's actually quite a, a good resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, and I will post this or put this in the show notes so you can easily find it. Sure. Um, I was super impressed with what Periscope did for getting app permissions. So if you look to see, like, you know, they need to know, you know, do we have access to the camera? Do we have access to the microphone in your own location? Because that's kind of their, their thing. Cool. And they yeah. present it in a really nice, you know, easy to understand. It's not scary. Yeah. And it's it's almost gamified. as like, hey, look, there's three things here. You haven't done two of them. Come on. Right. 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 Um, super impressive. So there, there's some nuggets to find in here. Yeah, we talked to we talked to Mike Oliver last year at uh, we met him at 360 iDev, uh, the three of us, Jaime, Mark, and myself, um, and he was talking about their their app at the time, uh, Breeze, which, much to my disappointment, which I use every day, they've they've pulled it from the store, um, and I've got to follow up with Mike about that. Um, but yeah, they, he talked about how they uh, encourage you because again, they need to have your location, they need to have permissions to do different things, so. I think, like you said before, so in this case here, does it follow up with the Apple scary warning that that doesn't look like an error rather than than a permission screen? Um, I've watched people use my own apps um, that I've built for different clients and and watch them install them and and just hit no 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 and then just to get to the get into the app and use it and then, and you're like ah but you need push notification ah but we need your location you know kind of stuff um, and it's surprising look so having seen this in like some usability testing. Because, you know, yeah. location and push notifications, those can be kind of scary, right? You have to be very, yeah. very extra careful with those. But in a situation in which the user needs to post a picture, mm-hmm. when asked, do you want to let this app have access to the camera? They mm-hmm. said, no. Right. No, mm-hmm. mind you, <laughs> this is the entire purpose of the task at hand. They, <laughs> just, they, they just tap a camera yes. button or something like that, right? And, 
Yeah. And, and it's still saying that. Yeah, strange. Yeah. And it wasn't like, oh, well, they accidentally tapped no, right? So this, this happened enough in and, and, and asking and understanding. And it turns out they weren't sure what that meant. It was like, oh, well, I don't want the camera to be on when I'm like, yeah. changing in front of it or something, you know, I'm listening so, to podcasts. the guy with masking tape over his camera, right? Yeah, so they, they right. understandably <laughs> were, like, concerned that this fappening thing might happen to them at a micro level, because they didn't yeah. understand that this is only giving us access while you're using the app itself. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, give exactly. us unfettered access to your microphone or to sure. your camera and so forth. So in the case of, like, I guess my question is, so so I'm looking at the Pinterest, and, and sorry, I'm looking at the Periscope screen, and it's been a while since I set it up, but so are are they overriding the default behavior of posting that notification that, that pops up if you hit enable camera here? Does it does it immediately give you the scary Apple, you know, click here to access your, give us permission to use your camera? Or is this uh, a behavior that is able to tick off that box without showing the scary notification? So the let's see, this is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The eighth, uh, if you have it in the show notes, uh, the link there. It is the eighth yeah. screenshot that says yeah. start a broadcast. Hey, exactly. we need we need a few things before you can broadcast. We need you to enable camera, and there's a button for that with a nice mm-hmm. little icon. Enable microphone. Um, enable location is a separate button, and it says underneath. Don't worry, you can choose to hide your location before each progress uh, yeah. broadcast, mm-hmm. and. Although it's not displayed here, I don't think. Yeah, it's not displayed here. It's not animated. From what I recall myself, when you touch the enable camera button, that's when you get the, oh, the, you know, the, the actual Apple scary system prompt, right? Yeah. Where there's there's yeah. no turning back. Now you have to go to the settings app to, to go re-enable it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But they've done a pretty good job of making it very clear the value proposition for why they need all of these permissions. So mm-hmm. I'd have to imagine that their rate of error is actually probably pretty low because they are preventing you from going forward um, and accidentally hitting the wrong one or misguidedly hitting the wrong one because they've, they've prepped you. Like, there's, this is the value proposition. And importantly, they didn't ask for push notification um, permission right here and there because I, I don't remember when they asked for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do it at a time at which it is clear oh, it's, to it's the user. like, uh, oh, this isn't going to spam the heck out of me. This is going to you know, with like, hey, five dollars off your next broadcast kind of thing. This is going to be useful notifications. Like, hey, my buddy is broadcasting something. I might want to see that. Yeah. Even if I mute them. They showed on the sixth <laughs> notification there, or sixth screen there. I'm on the on this this layout. Um, yeah, because Mark and I talked about this. We were having a challenge. We were working on an app together a couple of years ago, and and that was that was when this you know these new notifications came out. And I remember, you know, the challenge of, of not wanting to turn off a lot of users. We found, I think we were comparing notes on, on our two apps, Mark. Remember, I don't know if you recall the conversation, sure. but we were talking about the fact that, it, you know, very often we found that um, our users were, were not using our apps to the full potential or, or even just abandoning them altogether because they got too many scary notifications and ran off, you know, threw their phone down and ran away, you know? Right. Uh, oh, okay. I see the, I, I see the screenshot. So, yeah. Here's for the folks at home. You say, Periscope is live. Enable notifications so you don't miss broadcasts from people you follow. A mm-hmm. big old nice button that says enable notifications. And underneath it, it says you can adjust push settings from your profile. So there's two fantastic things there. One, yeah. they didn't just immediately like smack you in the face like, hey, I need push notification permission. Mm-hmm. Um, they're giving you the, here's the value proposition for you as a user. And most importantly, uh, at least for me, as a giving control to the user, 
they do let you, you know, enable push notifications and say, you know what, I really don't need push notifications from these three individuals. You know, you can selectively decide not to receive a notification, even though you still have notifications overall turned on. So maybe there's like breaking news coming from CBC or something that you always want to see, mm-hmm. but not your buddy down the street who just videotapes himself like eating Fruit Loops or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's an important power that's like, yeah. I mean, from the user standpoint, all they care about is like, I don't want to be spammed with notifications, but I also want to get notifications that are important to me. And so Periscope seems to have given that, you know, that operating system level of, you know, it's kind of all or nothing with push notifications from that permission standpoint mm-hmm. and went above and beyond by letting you selectively tune the notifications you want. Mm-hmm. So kudos mm-hmm. to them for that. So how did you, just uh, curious, out of curiosity, how did you find t- the uh, Periscope on this on this particular uh, site? Did you, you were there before and you knew they were there or... No, I hit search and just now and did it or no? How did I? Uh, Inquiring minds want. I was looking at a topic. What what topic was I looking at? What looks like it's ask permission. No, maybe I don't think that's how I got there though. That's I clicked on that to find Periscope. Just now. Yeah, onboarding is a tricky, tricky, uh, tricky business, especially when you need user login and user buy-in on on on, uh, permissions as, as well, right? Right. Oh, I see how I got there. So I was trying to click on activity feeds and accidentally clicked ask permission. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Inside baseball, that's how the sausage is made, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Just, has Aaron fallen asleep over there? No, I'm still here. Um, I have a pick, actually. Oh, um, do you? Yeah, it's for a new Mac app that's, I think it's out now. Is it called a Magpie? No. <laughs> <Ding>. <laughs> Nobody gives a crap about that, man. Come on. Um, you use it every day, Aaron. Yeah, me too. And thank you. Your slogan. I use it every day. Um, this this is an app called Blocks, and I'm not actually mm. sure how new it is, but it is fairly new. A friend of mine, uh, Adam Cool, uh, showed it to me, and um, basically what it does is it's a WYSIWYG web page builder. And hmm. there have been many over the years, and uh, as a web developer myself, the pure text editor school of development, I am deeply skeptical of WYSIWYG tools for building websites, but uh, not having actually used this one, so I really can't tell you if it's actually going to be effective. But the strategy behind it is really interesting, I think. Um, are you familiar with Bootstrap? Uh, it's actually from yeah, Twitter. And it is a... It is a a CSS uh, and HTML uh, tool uh, to build websites, and it has sort of standard uh, system for for laying out content and styling it. And so, uh, Bootstrap, Bootstrap, you're talking about? Yeah. Bootstrap, no? yes, they okay. they have uh, a pretty standard look to them. Well, Blocks is basically a Bootstrap barfer. Hmm. So what it does is uh, it uses uh, some standard templates, and yeah. you can plop content into the templates, and it throws up bootstrap and then you can just post it to your website. Um, and so, and the thing is with bootstrap is that, uh, it's very, uh, predictable. It's very simple, uh, which is part of why it's so darn popular. Uh, so, uh, uh, what this basically does is, uh, have these templates. And if, if you know CSS at all, then, um, it's really straightforward. Uh, you have divs that divide up your page into columns and within them, you can place, 
uh, standard elements like tables or forms or what have you. All these things are sort of wedged in there as, as widgets, really, and you can drop them in and customize them uh, in, in a fairly limited way. You know, like it's not this thing does everything. It's not like Dreamweaver or Rapid Weaver um, or Sandvox, for example, which are other uh, HTML WYSIWYG builders that tend to be much more complex and uh, output HTML that isn't very human readable. The beauty about um, Bootstrap is that its output is quite readable. Uh, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's friendly to text editors. So, um, very interesting looking tool. It's uh, it's got a nice website as you can see from the link. Uh, a little video to demonstrate how it works, and it's a seventy dollar app for mm-hmm. um, single user. Um, check it out if you're into that sort of thing at all. Like it looks like you know even if you're a developer. And you want to put together a website quickly, this is a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can, of course, build onto it. Um, but even if you are uh, you don't know anything about web development, um, this could actually get you off and running pretty quickly. It's pretty nice. It looks beautiful. I'm looking at their site right now, and uh, it, it it is, in fact, responsive. I'm yes, it is. <laughs> resizing everything and seeing yeah. how it vertically stacks. It's super it's nice. One of the beauties of Bootstrap, actually, is that it's like automatically responsive. That's why whenever... Like, I don't build a lot of websites these days, but whenever I do, um, I feel like that guy from that... Uh, Stay thirsty, my friends. Uh, <laughs> the most interesting man in the world from Dos Equis. Yes. yes, that's the guy. The most interesting developer in the world. I don't often build websites, but when I do, I use Bootstrap. Stay nerdy, my friends. Yeah, yeah. So they've got an interesting comment here way towards the bottom. It says, made for the Mac. Love the Mac. OS 10.9 minimum. What does that mean? I'm I'm using Chrome, and it looks like it's working just fine. Is it like, um, like I think Safari it's, enhancements or something? No, no. It's, it means that um, that you've, you've got to run it on 10.9 or higher, the app, not the site. Oh, uh, I see. Right, I see. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny, though, eh? No, Bootstrap damn well better run on everything. <laughs> um, yeah, if I, if, even if I open this thing in IE you know, 10 or whatever, Edge it's called now, uh, this thing better look good. That's the whole point. So, um, anyway, there you go. Check it out. Cool. Yeah, I, I had seen a, a site recently that uh, we were asked to work on that was started in Bootstrap. It looked it looked pretty, pretty straightforward in terms of how it's thrown together. I'm a big like, fan. Reminded me of that, reminded me of that so what was that code fire code igniter? Code igniter, yeah, the PHP yeah. Uh, application development platform. Yeah, there was sort of a yeah, sort of there was a lot of that buzzing around a few years ago. Hmm, I'm not sure Ooh. what that has to do with that because Bootstrap well, is just, just HTML. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it, there's no there's no API. There's no 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 no. You sure? Cause yes, cause I'm 100 percent sure. Site I, site I saw was using was. Uh, Using login and some other stuff, and it was written in Bootstrap, or at least started with Bootstrap. The, the front end will have been in Bootstrap, yes. Yeah. So, like the HTML and the CSS, and uh, yeah, that's it. It's just Bootstrap, um, and then oh, you can plug it into a, an application framework, uh, as most people would do who are actually right. building web applications. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So it could be connected to anything, like Rails. There's a Rails gem to uh, create a Bootstrap uh, front end for oh, you. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and on and on and on. 
So if somebody wanted to build a quick little page for their for their new app that they're publishing, they could use they could use something like these two tools to put that together, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like you, if you if you are a nerd and can write HTML and and can take a few minutes to get to know Bootstrap, then that's uh, by far the easiest. But then you spend yeah. seventy bucks and you get blocks, um, and assuming it works as advertised, um, <laughs> it, it gives you a very easy way to do the same thing. Cool. Nito Pichikino. I don't even know. That's cool because if I'm if I'm not mistaken, doesn't GitHub pages use Bootstrap? I believe so. Yeah. So you might have GitHub? a nice little way to use this app to you know create the front end piece you want and then just slap that sucker on GitHub pages and presto changeo you've got a site. Yeah. Oh GitHub pages, that's a different tool that I'm not aware of. Uh, it's a product it? offered by um, GitHub to host like websites and you, I if I remember correctly, and I've not used it myself, you could just use GitHub to, you know, command line push stuff yeah. that you want on there. and It's for static sites. Right. Yeah. Cool. You get another offering from GitHub. What do you know? They got a lot of actually great stuff. Uh, you know, are you familiar with Gist? Yeah, I just started using it a little while ago. I was not sure. That's just for throwing up quick code snippets, right? Yeah, for snippets, uh, text notes, any kind of um, plain text block, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and it can be formatted and stuff. It's an easy way to share anything that's longer than like would fit in a, a Slack window, for example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, cool. Slack has its own thing. But so, have you used just 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 that much? Oh or? heck, yeah, I use the heck out of it. You use the heck great. out of it. Oh, I should yep. know. Of Icon template. Hey, I like it in there. Oh, that's me. <laughs> Zombie. Did you ever talk about icon template? It rings a bell, show? but uh, I don't know. It's got it's uh, Photoshop and and um, I want to say that other thing with the gem. I sketch what it's called sketch, but I, I'm looking at it now. It doesn't seem to have it, but it's Photoshop templates that let you do. Uh, they have an uh, iOS an OS X version. OS ten. Sorry, yeah, I know. No, you're just I trying to get me. OS ten. <laughs> you pass the test, Aaron. Thanks. Um, iOS and and also Apple Watch icons, and basically, so you can it gives you like a grid in which to put your artwork to sort of make it fit nice, and then when you're ready, it, you, exp- you run the action and it exports the sizes that you need for all your devices. Right. So you get all the OS OS ten. Sorry, where are we? iOS 8, iOS, uh, iOS 7, yeah, iOS 6 icons that you need, various sizes for that. I've not tried it for OS 10 because I've never built anything for OS 10 since I found out about this, but I've used it for Apple Watch as well. So, because it does all the, you know, the weird 29 pixel sizes and all that stuff. And, and that, you know, two and three times resolution as well. And names them so they're super easy to just pop into your... Uh, Too true. Yeah, program. I don't know. I think we might have seen this before, but... I know Sketch has a thing. Like, they've got templates yeah. in there to build, yeah. like, icon sets. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Yep. Uh, so we'll go... Uh, sorry. What do we do now? We go around the table and tell us, well, where we're from oh, and yeah. who we are so and hey, where we live. So, and, yeah. So, hey, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They would go to Twitter, at Aaron Vay, or check out magpievideo.com to get the world's best use-it-every-day website, watch-it-later service. Yeah. He uses it every day. I do, every day. Um, I haven't used it this week. I'm really busy, but there you go. And you should I'm be using a, it more then if you're busy. That's true. Jaime, <laughs> if you want to find you on the internet, where, <laughs> where would they look? 
Well, if uh, Twitter hasn't shut down my account by now, given the scathing Ouch. comments I've made about them, they can find me on Twitter as <laughs> Dev of the Hair, and just as a backup, devofthehair.com, which I control. Sure. For go. now. For now, yes. <laughs> the overlords haven't found you yet. And Mark, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they, how would they get hold of you? I'm at markr at smopsoft.com. And once again, my name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Jaime's Twitter. And I uh, can be found on my website, which I also control, it-guy.com. And of course, you can reach any of us on mtjc.fm. We'll, you'll hear about that in the outro. So that's it for the week, and I guess we'll say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Say it, Tim. And scene. is it end scene or and scene? I think well, end, whenever I hear you, scene. it's and a n d. Yeah, I know. And, and I was thinking about that because I heard Jaime said it last week because you were you were not there at the end, I guess, or, or didn't say it. He said, and I wasn't sure if it should be end scene. Okay, go ahead and say and scene. I'll have to ask Amy Fuller. That's where I get it from. I Amy believe Fuller, it's and right? scene, isn't it? I think it's end scene, right? Like, I don't care what it is. Just say end scene. But I'm hearing it from both of the Canadians here. It sounds like end scene as in... Did you count the number of A's in in Aaron's last last episode? There should be like a bingo card for the number of times you say A. I haven't heard that many A's since I watched Sesame Street back when I was four years old. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I get it. That's a joke, eh? That was a joke, eh? (laughs) Some cross-cultural sharing there. But the last time you watched uh, The Great White North, Bob, Bob and Doug McKenzie on SETV? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How's that for How's reference on that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good <laughs> reference, you hoser. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, adios, amigos. And scene. All right. And, and scene. Now. And scene. USB hubs are the worst. You know, they're one of those uh, cheap pieces of crap equipment that... Everyone has you to get. Live you can't live with. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you have to get one, right? But you're just yeah. never going to find a quality one. I, I really wish Apple would make one. Instead of those octopus cables, like you know the, the Hydra, like they have for like the new MacBook, right? Uh-huh. Like uh, USB C on one end and like the the three port thing on the other. I wish they'd make mm-hmm. just like a nice Apple quality USB hub, you know, and overcharge for it, of course, you know, of course it's Apple, but. At least then you'd know that it would work and it would charge all the stuff that you plug into it. Hmm. You know, because it's really hard. Yeah, you have to make sure it has 10, I think it's 10 volts out of it. Yeah, that sounds right. Two amps. And also, uh, yeah, so the, I've got a USB 3 one on the one I'm on now, but I think my old one, my other one's a USB 2. So did you see my picture of my uh, spit screen on my my tweeter today? I did. Yeah, it kind of didn't, didn't survive the, uh, the ordeal. Oh, I is that something that you'd used... Like up until now? Yeah, I actually just went to Long and McQuaid and bought a new one today, but um, 
Yeah, no, I, I printed one on my 3D printer, right? And, you know, used a pair of my wife's old nylons to make the the, scre- the screen. I see. And, uh, yeah, so the problem is, is they told us that you had to remove everything from the house that would melt at over, I want to say 90 degrees Celsius, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, all right. Um, yeah, and then... Or maybe it was 104. Carol would know the number. But anyway, so then they walked in and said, no, no, we're going to heat the house to like 190 degrees. Fahrenheit, obviously. Fahrenheit, yeah. So Celsius, uh, burst into flame. Yeah. Yeah. Kelvin, yeah. Chilly. Exactly. So so, so needless to say, um, so 190 degrees, right? Well, um, PLA plastic, the printers that, that heat the, the, the PLA plastic that you use on the 3D printers, heats to 208 degrees but you can go from 180 to depending on what you want so anything in the house that was 3d printed would have would have uh, just wilted what sorts of things were you removing then like i removed everything all of my valuable collectible mac stuff like all my system one discs and floppies and all my dvds and all my blu-ray discs Computers, like one, all your electronic equipment, too, I would imagine. Yeah, of course, I had to take the iMacs out and, and uh, stuff like that. Um, I left my LCD TV. It seems to have survived. Um, hmm. But I think they were putting thermal blankets over stuff. Oh, yeah. I had to leave my server in the basement because I have a, a quiet rack cabinet. It's like it's an insulated cabinet. It's called, what's it called? X-Rack Pro. And um, so I can have X-Servs in the basement and not drive myself crazy with noise. Oh, okay. Because uh, it all sounds sound insulated, but the problem is it's empty. It weighs 140 pounds. Hmm. So add two X serves and a you know bunch of RAID drives, and it's it gets pretty heavy. So, so we decided we couldn't. They they the guys didn't want to lift it out of the place, so we, they just threw. A, I hope they said they threw a thermal blanket over top of it, but I didn't see any blanket cover myself. Oh my! So so last night when I got home, I came to lock the door when they were done at seven. They started at like nine in the morning. And they bit, they bought these big giant tubes in and just cooked the house right, starting in the basement. So when I came home, uh, the house they had been done for like an, an hour, and the house was at fifty six degrees Celsius. Woo! Yeah, it was like a sauna, and that was on the first floor. The guy said, "Do not go to the second or third floor." Right? So you know, we we were planning on sleeping at somebody else's house. So I pulled all I had to take all my guitars out because yeah. they would have just like warped like crazy. Um, some of the IKEA furniture um, delaminated a bit, a little bit, you know, like because uh, the, the glue just yeah, yeah. turns into mush, sure. you know. Um, some of those, you know, those uh, uh, Leviton six plugs that you plug in to get to, like it's a, it plugs into it's like a, not a surge protector. It's not a surge protector, but yeah, it's like it's got six outlets and yeah. you plug it into a regular yeah. standard outlet and gives you six outlets. Uh, one of those we had an old one upstairs warped, you know. Um, I left my Batmobile model that my kids gave me for Christmas last year, and it had a lenticular in the back showing the Batcave in 3D, mm. and the lenticular just all curled up. Wow. Yeah, of course. So it's 9 fifths Celsius plus 32. Is that right? Yeah, or you can use the Mac calculator. It'll it'll uh, do the conversion for oh. you. <laughs> I get 158 degrees Fahrenheit. For 50, yeah, that 50 sounds degrees. right. It's crazy. Yeah, wow, that's pretty hot. Yeah, they, they, they said they got the house up to 190 at the, the highest wow. point, right? So, so did it did it yeah. kill all the bugs? Yeah, apparently what it does... Well, so, so before we left the house and they had the system set up, they made us go and stand in front of these big... Like, they were like, I want to say 15-inch... Um, like, they look like furnace... Like like dryer tubes, you know those foil tubes that you have, right? That you put behind your dryers. They were like those, but big, long, giant ones. And um, they made us to stand in front of them while they doused us with hot air. Hmm. 
Um, and then did our shoes and our hats and what, and our, and our, my computer bag and Carol's, you know, and our overnight bag and all that kind of stuff before we left the house. And, um, because apparently that a hair dryer will will kill uh, bed bugs and stuff like that because they basically explode. So okay. the problem with bed bugs is their life cycle is two days. So you know they every two days that there's a new population and the problem is is that their egg their eggs is what travels around on people, mm. right? So you know I've been running the transit. I figure I picked it up when I went to Washington to, to a conference in, in one of the hotels. I stayed in two hotels that that trip. Um, so I could have picked it up there. Or I could have picked it up on a plane, you know, because you, you know they don't really clean between you know between flights. You just they just you know unless you throw up or, or have an accident on your on your seat, they don't change and do anything about the seats between flights, right? So God knows what you pick up there, right? Also, uh, apparently traveling on the transit, um, as you know, my stepson teaches kids to, or guys to write drive speed cars here in the city. Well, everyone knows um, that. Yeah, and so he he. Uh, he he was telling me that that they call them the uh, the the bed bug transit or bed bug bus or something like that, you know, because they're just they're notorious for for spreading <laughs> little critters throughout this throughout the city. So yeah, so it's kind of a but we only found it in the in the one bedroom, the master bedroom, right? Actually, on my side of the bed too. So and and I'm not allergic to them. So I might have been getting bitten for the last six months and not even realized it. It wasn't until my wife and my grandson, you know, that kicked me out of the bed. I'd sleep in another room. They both came up with welts that night, uh, Thursday night, and uh, or they woke up Thursday morning with a whole bunch of bites on them. And as soon as they looked at them, they realized, you know, that they were bed bugs and you know, so we called the the eradicators. Bet we were called them. Um, I guess here's a free shout out for them. They were. Um, Called Bed Bugs and Beyond. Ca. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so to this morning we got in here at nine o'clock in the morning. The house is at thirty-eight degrees Celsius. Wow! I'll let Mark do the math on that. That is crazy. And it has one hundred nineteen, I think. Or no, it's pretty hot. Um, well, Forty Celsius is one hundred and four Fahrenheit. I know this. So yeah. So yeah, thirty-eight. We. So we, we opened up the windows. It was a nice 19, it was a 17 degrees this morning when we, when we got home. So we just opened up all the windows and all the doors. And literally you opened up, like I had a shower in the afternoon or about noon, around noon and the soap and shampoo was still warm. Wow. Right. So, and what it is, the problem with, with, you know, the whole challenge of air conditioning and stuff like that is you have to heat the, you have to cool the walls first. Right. So the walls were just like, you could, you know, couldn't quite fry an egg on them, but they were quite hot. Right. So. Like the the, dog, the cat and the dog didn't want to come in the house. They wanted to sleep in the backyard where it was cool. <laughs> you know, and they slowly migrated into the house as it got cooler. And so, you know, then we fired up the air conditioners. And thankfully, it's a cool day out today. So yeah, it's a beautiful day today. Up. Yeah. So. so, how long do you have to wait to see if it really got rid of them? Oh well, I mean they're really gone. I mean the thing about it, what it does is it kills it kills moths, which Carol really likes. Carol has a whole bunch of really valuable fabrics, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which like tens of thousands of dollars worth of fabric in the house. And um, so if you want to come by and steal our fabric, no. Um, which, by the way, has a really good insulating value, <laughs> we found. Um, but the problem with that is moths, right? So we have these, these I forget what they call them. They're, um, oh, they're little white guys. You see them in mothballs? suits. No, yeah, not, not, no, I mean the, the bugs. There's a certain oh. kind of moth. Mill, mill moths or something like that. Yeah, she would know the name, but um, they, they're horrible. I mean, they... they ate all my wool suits. They had a whole bunch of our, you know, sort of hockey jackets. You know those hockey jackets if you get, Aaron, you know, with the leather leather sleeves, they eat those. 
They've eaten my shoes. They've, they've wreaked havoc on her silks and, and uh, her fine fabrics, right? Um, so they're gone because of this procedure. Any cockroaches or flies or even even beneficial bugs like spiders, which we don't mind spiders in the house because they eat mosquitoes and what have you, right? They would have all been killed as well. So, And all the little rodents, guys, they would have left the house. They would have just scattered, right? So... So and and also kills bacteria. So it's basically the house is the house is now, for the moment, clean, you know, of of uh, little critters. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's good. But it was a bit of an ordeal. Well, so but we had to like move all the like we moved like um, we bought a, a shed that's seven by seven feet by ten feet tall, and it's full of stuff that we just couldn't be without with that we figured would melt if we left it in the house. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and then our garage is full of stuff too. So. We haven't started digging out yet. <laughs> what an ordeal! Yeah, how long did you yeah. stay in the house? Were you overnight? Was it overnight or? Yeah, it was pretty much uh, well from about nine ten o'clock yesterday morning till nine o'clock this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were out of the house, so and we went. And, so you can buy these um, uh, uh, mattress covers that are like really tightly woven, and they're almost impervious. Impervious because the bed bugs live in the little crevasses around your mattresses and your headboards and whatever, right? Um, and so these, you put these blankets over top, and, and uh, they can clear them. And, that, and actually, here's a pro tip for uh, we found out a lot of few things. We found a lot of things about bed bugs as we went through this last couple of days. If you go to a conference or you go to a hotel room or whatever, they can't climb climb ceramic surfaces. So the best place to keep your suitcase is in the bathtub hmm. at the at the hotel. And then, um, of course, uh, you can buy a bag that's like re- again really tightly woven. So as you change your clothes, you know, from between each each day, like I usually bring a number of t-shirts and jeans and whatever for uh, when I'm at a conference, and every day put on a fresh one and fresh underwear or whatever. Uh, it's probably too much information for some people, but there you go. But every so so every day, put that into a bag, um, and then you know, of course, when you get home like literally strip naked as you walk in the door and put in clean, put in fresh clothes because you never know yeah. who knew right I mean, I've, been going to, I've been going to conferences for about five years now actually I've been traveling to the states tons of times but you know it's not the kind of thing and it's not like somebody said to me well there's hotel there's websites that list off all the you know bug bed bug reports you know all over the place it doesn't help you when you go to a conference and you're like getting the conference rate right yeah so yeah like with all the traveling I've been doing I've been Nearly that careful. I'm yeah, a fire here. Yeah. Well, and the thing about this is, like, like sixty percent of the people are not allergic to bed bugs, right? So, and you, you need a flashlight if you if you want to check for yourself. You need a fl- to take a flashlight and just go up around your headboard and lift your mattress up and look underneath it. And, you know, see if you see any little uh, little round guys. Oh. Yeah, it's apparently it's it's like uh, the they were telling us that. In our neighborhood, they're rampant. I mean, we have we have termites here. And that's the other thing. We also kills termites. We have them in the house as well, right? So, yeah, it's better. The other the alternative is spraying, and they have to do it like because of the two day life cycle. They have to keep coming back and spraying over and over and over again, and you have to keep the pet pets and kids away from it. You know, so it's that would be just an ordeal as well, right? So, like you have a dog, Aaron, you couldn't do it at your place, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's my debugging story for the week. Yeah. <laughs> Fun times. So, hey, Jaime, how you doing? Good. So, I see nobody's put anything on the list here. So, what are we talking about today? What's what's going on other than we're talking about bed bugs, bed bugs, <laughs> but debugging, it's a debugging show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had to use instruments to debug the sh- debug the. Uh,
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.